Tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And so, Father, I do pray that tonight as we settle in into your word, I, I pray that our hearts would be open. And just as we discussed on Sunday in that parable of the sower, that our hearts right now would be like fertile soil. I pray that the kids upstairs in the high school room and in the junior high room and then in the elementary grades, that as they're having their lessons, they too would be taken in the Word of God and and their hearts would be soft and and fertile, uh, Lord, and that the Word would uh, be planted there and take root, just as I pray for all of us here. And Lord, I, I pray our hearts would be stirred right now. And my desire and all of our desire is to hear your voice and to be encouraged and blessed as we look at this chapter. And so, Lord, do the work that you want to do in our hearts and taking your word and working it um, to where we are opening our ears and, and receiving your word. Um, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Saul's son, Jonathan, we saw him in the um, previous chapter he is one that is a, um, a man of faith. He's a warrior for Israel. And what we're going to see in a couple chapters is that Jonathan and David, David's going to be introduced to us uh, here uh, in a couple chapters, as it's going to be Samuel that will go to the house of Jesse and anoint a new king. And of course, that king would be David. And so Jonathan and David, their hearts are going to be knit together because they were of the same mind, and it reminds me so much of what Paul would write to the Philippian believers, that he would encourage those believers to be of the same mind, to have the mind of Christ. And, and really, Jonathan and David were that way. They had a very special relationship, and we will see that later on in a few chapters as we continue through this book of First Samuel. But you recall that as we were going through uh, Samuel Um, ministry as he would anoint Saul as the king as the people came and asked for a king and we saw in chapter 11 that Saul really that was the highlight of his ministry as the king as it was Saul that was um, used by God as the spirit of God came upon Saul and he was used to raise up what it is amazing is 330,000 men soldiers to go against the Ammonites that had come into that area and surround it, uh, Jabesh Gilead, and threaten them. And so Saul was used of the Lord to bring victory to the children of Israel and to that city. 330,000 men that he gathered to go to war. And we saw that as God was using him in that chapter, he also was using godly wisdom as well. And he gave the glory to the Lord. He said that the Lord has given us this great victory as we read in that chapter. Well, it would be a few years later as we moved into chapter 13 that we saw last time that we were in 1 Samuel that Saul began to become very prideful. He was blowing the trumpet for himself as it was Jonathan that struck the the um, uh, garrison of the Philistines. He attacked them. Uh, there was a victory that was there. Who blew the trumpet was Saul. And Saul blowing the trumpet for himself, and the word would go out throughout Israel that Saul has attacked the garrison of the Philistines. So we have seen that what has begun in the spirit with Saul that he is now trying to perfect in the flesh. And that's one of the things that we talked about last week or two weeks ago in chapter 13 is that here is 
Saul, he began well, but now he's beginning to rely on his own understanding. He's beginning to become prideful. He's blowing the trumpet for himself. He is one that is doing things out of his own energy and out of his own might and his own understandings. And so he was one that, as now the Philistines have built up this massive military buildup to attack Israel, all of a sudden it is Saul who was trying to gather the troops. He has 2,000 with him. Jonathan has 1,000. They see the Philistines in their massive buildup on the borders of Israel going to attack, and the men of Saul become very frightened. And they are hiding, and they begin to hide in the hills of Ephraim. And they even, some of them, would go AWOL and go on the east side of the Jordan River. And so Saul, when he saw that there is this military buildup by the enemy, his men are becoming afraid and scattering everywhere. It was Samuel, you recall in chapter 10, that told Saul that you wait for me and we will offer sacrifice to the Lord. I will give that sacrifice. And of course, it was Samuel that with the office of the priest, he was the one that was to give that sacrifice. But Saul took matters into his own hands. He became impatient. He didn't want to wait any longer for Samuel when he didn't show up, when he thought he was going to. And so he did the sacrifices in giving the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And when he had finished, here came Samuel. And Samuel said, Saul, what have you done? And we had discussed and we saw the response of Saul in chapter 13 was this that well you know what you didn't come when I thought you were going to come and the enemies are are, you know mounting here against us and my men are scattering everywhere so it was Saul that instead of admitting that he had done something wrong that he had sinned because only the priests were allowed to give those sacrifices and that was the problem with Saul and sometimes as we go through these books and we're going to see in this chapter and we're going to see in the next chapter and the following chapters that it seems like in, in some cases when you first read this that maybe God is picking on Saul a little bit too much i mean he meant well at least he tried to offer up some burnt offerings and some peace offerings he got impatient you can understand how the enemies is mounting you know against them they had three thousand chariots and six thousand horses and and chapter 13 verse 5 says that the the philistines were as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude so you can understand how perhaps saul was a little bit anxious when he saw the Philistines really coming and building their forces and going to come at him at full force, and his men are scared, and I've got to do something. And maybe Samuel was a little bit hard on Saul. But you see, Saul disobeyed God, and he blatantly disobeyed God. And instead of admitting that he was wrong and saying that I have sinned, it was Saul that would always come up with excuses. We're going to see that in chapter 15. He's going to be given some instructions and Saul's going to be disobedient. He's going to do mostly what God said, but he isn't going to do all what God said. And when Samuel comes once again to confront Saul, we see that Saul makes more excuses. And that's one of the things about when we confess our sins to the Lord, that we need to confess them, not make excuses or say, well, it's because of him or her or the circumstances. And unfortunately, I know that I have done that in my life before. 
that I've come to the Lord and said, Lord, you know what, I, I know I shouldn't have gotten angry or said this thing, but that person or this circumstance caused me to do it, rather than just saying, Lord, what I did was wrong. And I, I confess it. And confession in the scripture simply means that you are in agreement with. You're in agreement with God that this is wrong. And Lord, that I have sinned and forgive me. And you see, that was the difference between Saul and David. And sometimes there are those who will look at the scriptures and say, well, Saul, you know, he, he did his best, and it seemed like that the Lord was hard on him. At least he didn't commit adultery and murder like David did. That we're going to see those sins of David in Second Samuel. But the difference between Saul and David was David repented, and he confessed his sin, and he said, Lord, I have sinned, and he didn't make excuses. So Saul was one that was always wanting to look good before the people and and full of excuses, and we're going to see that continue. So here is this this, this mounting of of these Philistine soldiers coming against Israel. Saul would then give the sacrifice. Samuel would come and rebuke Saul and say, Listen, the kingdom has been taken from you. Now keep that in mind as we go through this chapter. The kingdom has been taken from you, Saul, and the Lord's going to give it to another, a man after his own heart. Of course, speaking of David, which we're going to see in just a couple chapters, as it is going to be Samuel that is going to go to the house of Jesse and anoint the new king, David, of Israel. So here is Saul. The Lord is withdrawing his hand from Saul. Saul here, he is there with 600 men. Now, isn't that interesting? A few chapters ago, when the Spirit of God came upon Saul, he had 330,000 men that would go against the Ammonites. Here, he only has 600 men. And one of the things that I want to remind us of is that when we are just, you know, walking in the Spirit and being used of the Lord in the Spirit, he's going to do a whole lot more than if you're trying to do things out of the flesh. So these 600 guys are gathered here, and there's Jonathan. And Jonathan is going to go over to the Philistine garrison with his armor bearer, and he doesn't tell his father. Now, why doesn't he tell his father? Well, maybe because dad didn't want him provoking the Philistines any longer. So this is all happening as this war is about ready to happen. In verse 3, Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabob's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. I think it's interesting that the priest is mentioned here in verse 3, Ahijah, and I think that the Holy Spirit makes special mention of these guys that are with Saul because Samuel has withdrawn himself pretty much from Saul, from ministering to Saul. You recall that in the early years, in the early part of Saul's ministry as king, his position as king of Israel, Samuel was there ministering to him, talking to him, and, and advising him. But now Samuel has withdrawn himself. And so what we see here is, is that there is, you know, Saul consulting another priest to intercede for him. And so who does he go? He goes to the family of Eli. Now, you remember Eli, the, the priest, when we opened up 1 Samuel? And it was Eli that had two sons. One of those sons was uh, Phinehas, that's mentioned in verse 3. And you recall that Eli, he was a judge of Israel. He was the high priest, the spiritual leader. The tabernacle was in Shiloh. It had been there for about 400 years. The Ark of the Covenant was there. And it was Eli's two sons who were priests 
that they were very corrupt. They were committing sexual immorality with the women. They were ripping the people off. And because Eli didn't deal with his two sons, and because of their corruption, the Lord came to Eli and pronounced judgment upon his family and said that the priestly line is going to be taken from you and given to another priestly family. Also, your two sons, and Phinehas would be one of them, are going to die in one day. So we see here that the mention of Phinehas, and you recall that in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, that when Israel went to war against the Philistines at that time, that they brought out the Ark of the Covenant. And you recall that it was Phinehas and his brother that went out to war with the children of Israel and the Philistines defeated the children of Israel and a man from Benjamin came back to Shiloh to tell Eli what had happened. Some believe that that indeed was Saul that came back and Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. We don't know for sure. But the man from Benjamin comes back and tells Eli that, you know what, the children of Israel have been defeated. 30,000 have been killed And your two sons have been killed, just as God said would happen, that your sons are going to die, Eli, in one day. And then he said, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And when Eli heard that, he fell over backwards and died. And then it was Phinehas' wife that heard that her husband was dead. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured, and she was with child, and she went into labor. And right before she died, when she gave birth to her son, she called his name Ichabob, which means the glory has departed. And I don't think it's a mistake here that in verse 3 here, that here is this, this priesthood, that judgment has been pronounced, that God's going to give the priesthood to another family, and we see that Ichabod is mentioned, the glory has departed. You see, the glory has departed from Saul's ministry. That is the glory of God working through him because Saul wanted to take the glory from God. And the same thing will happen to any of us if we desire in when God is using us and working through us, if we desire to take the glory away from the Lord, God will not share his glory with any of us. He gets the glory. So the glory has departed from Saul. And so here is this, this, this priesthood, Ahijah, that is there interceding because Samuel has withdrawn himself. He's wearing his ephod. And then we read in verse 4, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Shanah. And the front of one faced northward up, opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. So Jonathan finds this strategic position. He, he, he goes over to the Philistines that are on the other side. And as he does, he's checking it out. He has his armor bearer with him. And he finds this narrow pass between the Philistines. One, uh, and there's two sharp rocks that are there. And then, and then the narrow pass. And one of those shop rocks was named Bozes, which means glistening or shining. The other is called Shanah, which means thorny. And Jonathan, we're going to see that he's a man of faith, that he's moving out in faith. He's desiring to see what it is that God is going to do. And as we move forward in faith in our lives, if we you know, are desiring to just be used of the Lord, there are times where it seems like it's shiny, that it's glorious. And it is glorious when we see God working in, in, in marvelous ways, in glorious ways. It's shining and, and the glory of God coming forth. And it's great when those times happen. But there are other times as well when we are stepping out in faith that it seems like it's a little thorny. 
thorny challenges that will come our way. But the thing to remember is God is on our side. And just as he is going to work for Jonathan, he works for us as well. And so in verse 6, as we continue reading, we see that Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And I, I love the faith of Jonathan. I want to have faith like what he has here. He says, let's go check it out. Let's see what God might do because nothing restrains him from saving by many or by few. I have that underlined. Nothing restrains the Lord. And you see, it isn't that Jonathan has confidence in himself. It isn't that he even has confidence in the soldiers of Israel. There's only 600 of them against all these Philistines that are mounted there, but he has his confidence in the Lord. And his confidence is in the Lord to where he knows that the Lord can save by many or by few. And what faith that he has. He's just trusting in the Lord. He looks at the Philistine numbers and all the chariots and all the horsemen. The children of Israel didn't have any of those things. You remember that just a few chapters ago, we saw that what the Philistines did, how they were able to suppress the children of Israel, is that the children of Israel didn't have any blacksmiths. So they couldn't make any spears. And the children of Israel had to go to the Philistines to get their, you know, plow, you know, shares uh, that were sharpened and their goads and, and anything that they used as a farm tool sharpened by the Philistines. And they were not able to have any weapons. There was only a few that really had weapons, and Jonathan was one of them. So it's overwhelming odds that the children of Israel are facing. You can understand why the men that were with Saul are trembling, and many of them laughed, and they thought there's no way that we can win. But Jonathan looks at that, and he just dismisses all of that. Because he knows that when God is on your side, whether it's one or whether it's many, that that equals a majority, and that equals victory. Because he is our victory. And I love what Jonathan is doing here. He says, let's just see what the Lord might do for us. How he might work for us. How I hope that we in our lives, that we would have that same kind of mindset. Lord, I just wanted, just want to see what it is that you might do with me today. What it is that you might do with us here at Calvary Chapel. Just excited knowing that, you know, it seems like that there are so many obstacles in, in what the Lord puts on our hearts. Or how can this work when the Lord puts something, you know, on your heart to do? But just displaying that faith and saying, Lord, nothing restrains you from working because my confidence is in you. And so his armor bearer said to him in verse 7, he said, do all that is on your heart, go then, and here I am with you according to your heart. And so the armor bearer is really displaying faith and, and great encouragement. He's saying that if the Lord put this on your heart, Jonathan, I think he knows that Jonathan is a man of faith. And he's saying, do what's on your heart. And as we have things that the Lord puts on our hearts, as we share that, I hope that we encourage one another. Know that Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. And I believe that God wants to do things in our lives. I really believe 
that Paul's prayer is something that God wants to do in our lives when he was praying for the saints in there in the book of Ephesians as he prays that God may do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think or ask. I really think that God wants to do so much in our own lives and in our, the life of this church if we would just say, Lord, what is it that you want to do? And to encourage one another as the Lord puts things on our hearts. And that's real important to have. To have brothers and sisters, to have family members that, that say, you know what? What's on your heart? I'm, you know, I'm going to pray for you and encourage you in that. I was very blessed to have that with my wife, Sue. When we prayed about coming up here to Greeley, and we are going to come up here and start a church, we didn't know anybody except for John and Becca and maybe a few others that we've gotten to know as we had done a few Bible studies up here, but we really didn't know anybody. We didn't have you know, all the support and demographic studies and, and you know, this big church you know, going to pour money into it, any of those things. It was come up with a Bible and you know, a cheap guitar and a stool and start in our living room and see what God is going to do. But as the Lord put those things on my heart, it was Sue that was saying, you know what, let's do what's on your heart and encourage me in that. And that was a great blessing and a benefit because it prompted me and it encouraged me. Yeah, let's just go for it. Let's just see what the Lord's going to do. And here it is 15 years later. And the Lord has been so faithful and so good to us and he has done so much. And I still in, in that Mindset, especially as I look at the events all around the world. And I know that, that the Lord is coming soon. And, the, and I don't know when is the Lord is going to come back, but whatever time that we have left, I want to just be able to have the mindset and the heart of, let's just see what the Lord wants to do. We did that when we bought this building. And when we bought this building, we we're just kind of, you know, let's see, Lord, what you're going to do. And, and the Lord provided, and there were those who encouraged and and I love to see God working in that way and then having the brothers and sisters that come along and just desiring to say, yeah, you know what? He, you know, do what's on your heart. And it isn't being presumptuous. It isn't being weird. It, it isn't being foolish, but it's, you know what? Lord, you're putting these things on my heart. And, and Lord, I just want to, to just... See what it is that you want to do in my life. Verse 8, we see that Jonathan said, Very well, let's us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand till, uh, still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hands and this will be a sign to us. So Jonathan proposes this test. He, he wants to know if the Lord is really in this. He's desiring to know if God is in this. We will show ourselves to the Philistines, and if they say, you know what, we'll come up to you, wait, and we'll come to you, then we're going to stay put. And there are times when the Lord will put things on our hearts, but he says to us, I want you to stay put. I want you to wait for me. And again, it is being directed by the Spirit of God in our lives to just stay put and when Jesus was writing a letter to the church of Philadelphia, the faithful church in Revelation chapter 3, he would say to them that I open doors that no man can shut and I shut doors that no man can open. That's a good verse that I've tried to remember. That the Lord is the one that opens doors that no man can shut. And when he opens the door, it's so glorious to go through that door. 
But there are times where he shuts doors that no man can open. And when he shuts the door, don't try to go through it because you're going to smack your nose against the door. And just be sensitive to the leading of the Lord when he says, wait, to wait. And then when he opens up that door, to move, to move forward. So that's what Jonathan is doing. Again, he, he's want, not wanting to be presumptuous. He's wanting to be in the will of God. And, and then he said, you know, if they say, come to us, then we know that the Lord is working to bring us this victory. And it's a glorious way to live our Christian lives. What makes our Christian lives exciting and relevant is when we come every day to the Lord and say, Lord, I wonder what you're going to do today. Just being open to the leading of the Lord. And Lord, you open doors that no man can shut and you shut doors that no man can open. And Lord, just to lead me and guide me and for us to encourage, you don't know what the Lord might want to do with you tomorrow. You just don't know. He might want to do something amazing. He might want to do something that you never even thought about. Maybe an encounter with somebody, a divine, you know, run into somebody they haven't seen for a while and have an opportunity to share with them. Maybe somebody will come to you that, you know, is confused and they want to talk to you because they've watched your life for over these weeks and months, maybe even years, and they're coming to you because the Lord is leading them and you have opportunity to share with them. Maybe the Lord will put a ministry opportunity on your heart, whatever it might be. But what makes the Christian life exciting is when we understand that, Lord, you want to use me, and and I want to be open to that. And as we are, Christianity isn't mundane and dull and about being apathetic and, okay, another Bible study and, and all of this. It is exciting just being led by the Spirit of God. And that's what's so wonderful about just being in prayer and being sensitive to His leading and saying, Lord, we want to just move forward and see what you want to do today. I know that, I know that God wants to do so much with this fellowship. And I have felt that way, and He has done. And I want to be careful to think that He hasn't done anything. He's done marvelous things. But in my heart, I really feel like the Lord is just starting. And I really believe that he's going to do great things. And I'm just kind of, you know, I'm excited to see what you might do, Lord. When we got this building again, it was, okay, Lord, we'll kind of check it out and see what you're doing. And the Lord provided. And it's been a great, great place for us. And it's been a blessing. When we went on the radio back in December on Grace FM, we had been praying about that, and it's, it was something that the Lord had put on our hearts for a long time. And now it's kind of like, okay, Lord, you've given us the opportunity. Let's just see what you might do with the Grace FM and being on the radio. And we're just trusting where you guide, you're going to provide, and you're going to provide for us to just be on the air and continue to be on the air, and you're going to do great things through it. I really believe that the Lord's going to do that. But it's more than just that as well. I really, really believe in my heart that God wants to use Calvary Chapel Greeley in a very special and a very powerful way to reach this community for the gospel. I really do. And I hope that you're one that you just join in in just praying about that. Lord, just being, you know, 
excited about what it is that you might want to do tomorrow and next week and next month and this summer. There's so many people that are lost and in darkness, that are confused. The, the emails and the phone calls that I'm getting of, yeah, we're hearing you guys on the radio, you Calvary Chapel guys, we didn't know there's churches out there that teach that way anymore. And we're hungry. And, and they're thankful. And I really believe that God wants to pour out His Spirit in using us in a very great way, because not because we're more special than anybody else, but I think that's really what he wants to do with us. And I'm just excited to say, Lord, okay, let's see what you're going to do and those things that he puts on our hearts and as we move forward. But I don't want to just get comfortable. I don't want to just play church. I don't want to just be apathetic. Man, these are perilous times, yes, but these are exciting times for us as a church to be ones that are looking to be used of the Lord to reach Greeley and Weld County and whoever it is that we can along the front range for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the truth of God's word. And I really believe that he's going to do a glorious work. We just need to be willing to be used of the Lord and to move forward. To be able to minister to our young people. I hurt for our young people. Because Satan is working overtime. I hurt for families because he's working overtime to, to tear apart families and marriages, to get a foothold into our kids' lives. There are so many out there that are confused because they've heard so many voices out there, they don't know what truth is. And they don't have God's wisdom. They don't have the Lord in their lives. And there's a blindness that's going on. And every single one of us, that we have opportunity to be able to just be a light to others. So what I pray is that as people come here, that they hear the word of God, that they see the love of the Lord in us, reaching out, ministering. But as you go outside these four walls, that you're ministering as well. As the program goes over to airwaves, that people are touched by that. Just just saying, Lord, let's see what it is that you're going to do. And that's what I hope that we do as a church. That's what I hope that is you do individually every single day. I know that I am. Lord, I'm just excited to see what it is that you're going to do today. Because you never know what the Lord might want to do with you. And just being open to that. So Jonathan's proposing this test. And so verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. And then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And I think that Jonathan's heart was just full of excitement when he heard those Philistines react by saying, come to us and we'll show you something. And Jonathan's reaction is, all right. It's immediate here. Hey, God is in this and we're going to have victory. He's going to do something very, very special here. And so verse 13, Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan as he came after him. His armor bearer killed them. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within a half 
an acre of land. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they go for it. They have to climb the steep terrain on their hands and knees to do battle with the Philistines. Here's the thing. When we do battle, when we move out in faith, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. And I don't want to, to have any of us think that as God desires to use us, that it, it is going to be easy because it, it won't always be easy because it is a battle and the world will come against us and the enemy, Satan, will come against us. And it would have been very easy for Jonathan to say, well, you know what, I kind of changed my mind because I got to crawl on my hands and knees and it's rocky and it's hard and you know what, I don't want to do that and it's going to be steep and then I got to do battle with these guys. Now forget about it. It's very easy for us to become complacent. Very easy for us to say it's too difficult. We've got to put some energy and time into it because you see, when God wants to work, he wants us to partner with him and to move out. Not stand still, but to move and it's not always going to be the easiest thing. It takes time. It takes energy. It's like Nehemiah building the wall when they were, Nehemiah doing amazing work and there were those who came along and discouraged. There were those who came along and threatened them and said, what are you doing, Nehemiah? Who do you think that you are building this wall? A fox's going to walk on the wall and it's going to fall down. But Nehemiah was determined to do the work of the Lord. And that's what I pray for us in our lives and in this church, that we say, you know what, Lord? It may not be easy. It's going to take some real energy. It's going to take energy and prayer. It's going to take time. It's going to take resources. But, Lord, we want to do it in a way that honors you. And we want to do your work and not make excuses. But Lord, just to move out in that faith and things you have us to do. And so verse 15, there was a trembling in the camp in the field and among all the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earthquake so that it was a very great trembling. And so here's this trembling, the Philistines tremble. It means that they were full of terror. God supernaturally working with this, this earthquake. The, the, the ground shook. It says that the earth quaked so that there was a very great trembling. And the Philistines remembered that they knew the power of God. Remember back in chapter 4 when it was the um, children of Israel that brought out the Ark of the Covenant and the Philistines knew that? They said, oh no, they've brought their gods into the camp and, and it's their God that put the plagues upon Egypt and parted the Red Sea. They had known of that story that happened 400 years before that when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And 400 years later, the Philistines are saying, we know about the power of God, that it is their God that put those plagues upon Egypt and drowned the Egyptian army. And again, it was in chapter 6 when they captured the Ark of the Covenant, you recall. And it was, you know, the, the Philistines again that said, we got to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant because they are being struck with all these plagues. Get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. Let's don't harden our hearts like Pharaoh hardened his heart. And man, he really got it, the Egyptians. So they had known the power of God. They had experienced the power of God in bringing judgment upon them themselves. Yet they refused to repent. And here God is shaking the earth and they're confused. And we see that in verse 16 as the watchman and Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away and they went here and they went there. There was great confusion. They're running around everywhere. And, and here's the watchman kind of watching that. 
You and I are likened to watchmen. Do you know that? In the book of Ezekiel. And as we watch people in the world that are confused, that don't know the Lord, doesn't it seem like they're running here and they're running there, they're running everywhere? Some of them are trembling because they're like, what is this world going to come to? And the responsibility of the watchman was to give a message, a warning. And that's part of our ministry to others. That we do tell them truth, that we give them a warning, but we can watch others and we can just sit there and watch them. They're running here and there and they're very confused, the people of the world. And this was happening to the Philistines. And of course, we've seen God do this. Remember back in the book of Judges when there was 135,000 Midianites against you know, um, 300 men of Gideon. And God caused confusion, and they were confused, and they turned on each other, and were going here and there, and scattered everywhere. It's interesting when you read about the battles that are going to happen in the future, when God is going to defend Israel, that same kind of phraseology is used, that there's going to be confusion, and the enemy is going to turn on themselves. And that's what was happening here. And so verse 17, Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who's gone from us. And then they had called the roll. Surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. And it happened while Saul talked to the priests that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priests, Withdraw your hand. Now this is interesting because we look at this. And first of all, take a roll call. Something's going on. There's got to be somebody of Israel's involved in this. And it says surprisingly here in verse 17, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. They were surprised that they were gone. Which to me, I think that Saul said to Jonathan, you stay here, you don't go anywhere. I don't want you going and messing with the Philistines. And, and they were surprised that they were gone. But here is Saul. He has a hijah. He has the ephod on. Bring the ark of God. That surprises me. They had the ark of the covenant there in the camp with them. And you recall that the last time that we saw the ark of the covenant was in Kirjath Jerim, there at a house that that it was Saul that summons the ark of the covenant to come with them, and there was the priest with them. Does it sound familiar? First Samuel chapter 4, you remember, they brought out the Ark of the Covenant and they said, let's get it and it will save us. So Saul is reverting back to what the children of Israel were doing when their hearts weren't right with the Lord. They were reducing God to a box where they were trusting in the box, in the Ark. And that's what Saul is doing. Well, I got my priest here. I got the Ark of the Covenant here. There was a great noise. So the priest as he says, withdraw your hand, what that means is, is that he was going to pull out the Urim and the Thummim. That's mentioned in Exodus chapter 28 to, to cast lots, to give them guidance. And what's happening is the noise continues. They're watching this. The Philistines are scattering. He says, withdraw your hand. We don't need the ark. We don't need the arm and the thermon. I don't need the, the ephod. The Philistines are defeated. And the difference is, is that Saul was relying on relics and religiousness and looking good. And it was Jonathan that was moving out in the spirit. This just beautiful work of the Spirit through Jonathan bringing him victory. And Saul's watching all this, and he's got the Ark of the Covenant. Well, you know, he's, he's a Urim and a Thummim. Forget about it, priest. We don't need it. The Philistines are already defeated. And what a contrast between the mindset and the heart of Saul and his son Jonathan. 
the victory and boldness of Jonathan because it was just, again, a beautiful work of the Spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And those things that, that Saul were trusting in did not help him at all because Saul was not trusting in the Lord. There was no devotion to the Lord. But Jonathan, his confidence was in the Lord. In verse 20, Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. And moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines, so probably slaves before that time, who went up with them in the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. And so all of a sudden, as Jonathan has this victory, and Jonathan knows that the Lord is in it, and the Philistines are scattering everywhere, and there's this great noise, there's a trembling of what's going on there in the camp and all of a sudden these guys that are hiding come out of their hiding places come out from the hills of Ephraim the slaves are freed and they join in in the victory better late than never right and I do pray that as we see God working in our lives when we see God working in this church corporately that it would be an encouragement to others the others that perhaps are maybe hiding a little bit from what God has been wanting to do in their lives. Maybe they've been, you know, a little hesitant and, and maybe a little bit scared to move out and being used with the Lord. But you see, something happens when God is working amongst his people and others see that. It encourages them. It, it, it provokes them to good works. As Hebrews tells us there in chapter 10, provoking one another for good works. That's what we are to do. And when we see that God is moving in a, in a powerful way, in a mighty way, I don't know what that does. When, and when I see how God is, what he's doing in other ministries, in, in the mission field at times, and in, in other Calvaries, it stirs my heart and I get excited. And it's like, you know what? The Lord wants to do exciting things with us as well. And then as he begins to do exciting things, I hope that it provokes your heart for good works as well. That, yeah, I want to join in in that. I want to be a part of what God is going to do. And I pray that, that all of us, that we would be sensitive to that. That, Lord, we want to be a part of the victory of what you're doing here. You know, it's been interesting. It was kind of interesting, second service last Sunday. There was a lot of new people that were here. And there are those who are saying, yeah, we got a lot of new people. And I get phone calls this week that other new people want to come. And I hope and pray as we see them that it excites us, that, Lord, you're doing something. And I, I can be a part of that in ministering. I, I can teach Sunday school for one Sunday a month. I, I can help in the nursery. I, I can help in the coffee shop. I, I can greet. I can come in and be a part of what God is doing because he's doing great things and and reaching out to others I can make and bring a cup of coffee to somebody and introduce myself to them and encourage them and talk with them 
You know, I can bless others as they come in. I can come in and help, you know, make sure that things are ready to go. Whatever it might be that the Lord puts on your heart. But as we see God working and continuing to work, which I know that he wants to do and is going to do, that it would stir us into just being used in very simple ways. Better late than never. Because I want to encourage you, don't think that God... You know, doesn't want to use you. He does. He wants to use all of us. And when the body of Christ comes together and and we begin to do what God wants us to do, you know, and we're working together as the body should, it's a marvelous and wonderful thing. And especially, again, as I want to reiterate, in the days in which we're living in, I really don't believe there's a whole lot of time. I don't know how much time there's left, but I think that the Lord's wrapping things up when I see the events that are going on around the world, when I see that those things are pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ, again, I don't know the day or the hour, but we have today, folks, and we have tomorrow, perhaps. And what time that we do have that I want to further the kingdom of God, I really want to do that. And that when people come into this place that it's different than the world and it's not confusing, and there is God's love that is here, and God's truth. And we're seeing God do an amazing thing in the hearts of people. I really hope that we make it hard for people to go to hell in Greeley. That is my prayer. That we would make it hard for people to go to hell in Greeley, because we're going to do what we can, Lord, being led by you, And it's not just us, but it's other ministries and churches as well. But Lord, we want to really set our hearts on you and you stirring our hearts to reach out to others. To give them hope. And to give them the message of eternal life. And a message of victory that Jesus has given to us because he went to Calvary's cross. And that we wouldn't just be apathetic and we can get so set into, we get so distracted. But our focus would be, Lord, whatever it is that you have for me, and I know that's different for everybody. It might be for some, it's like I need to just focus on ministering to my family, being the father, or being the wife that I need to be. Start there. Or it might be, you know, I got some guys at work that that really I have opportunity to share with. Start there. Whatever the Lord has done in opening those doors that no man can shut and shutting doors that no man can open, you go to the Lord and you pray about it and you seek Him and you allow Him to speak to you, to you and see what the Lord might do. They have a heart like Jonathan. Lord, let's just see what you might do because you can save with few or with many. But Lord, you're still working and you want to work. And you want to bring great victory. And you want to show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards you because your eyes go to and fro across the oars. I really hope that his eyes are parked on this place and on our hearts to say, Lord, let's go for it. Can we say that together? Can we? Can we say amen to that and say, Lord, 
Let's just see what the Lord, what you want to do. And let's just go for it. Again, it's not being sloppy. It's not being presumptuous. It's not getting weird. Don't worry that, you know, I'm up in my office and dreaming of all these programs and things to do. I don't know exactly what the Lord's going to do. All I know is that I know that he wants to do some amazing things. He wants to do some special things. I really believe he does. He's just begun with us. But what has begun in the spirit, let's not try to perfect in the flesh. Let's just allow the Lord to work in reaching out to others and ministering to others and being a light. Well, I don't think we're going to finish the chapter. We're at verse 24, just 52 verses. So we'll finish it next week. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word and just this wonderful story of Jonathan and his faith and crawling over to the enemy and saying, let's just see what the Lord might do, bring us victory, because he can save by few or by many. Nothing restrains him. And Lord, we know nothing restrains you from working in our own lives. That you have saved us through one, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there's anyone sitting in the coffee shop or maybe even in the sanctuary, that they never really fully surrender their heart to you. The gospel is this, that Jesus loves you. Apart from him, there's no victory. There's, there's no forgiveness. There's no life apart from Jesus. There's no hope of heaven. Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the Son of God, went to the cross for you. And all of us have missed the mark, the scripture says, we've sinned and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came to take care of the sin problem. And he loves you and he died on Calvary's cross for you. So by chance, if there's anyone hearing this message tonight that they've never fully surrendered their heart to you, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And maybe the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart. Open up your heart to him. Jesus said, I behold, I knock on the, on the door of your heart, and if you open up that door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. In other words, there will be fellowship. The Lord wants to save you. He's, he's already done the work. He went to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood so you can have forgiveness of sin. He took your sins upon himself. And as you come in faith and you surrender your heart to him, the Bible says to repent. That means you turn to him right now. And you open your heart and you believe in your heart and you surrender your heart. And you pray, Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Be my Lord and Savior. I believe that I am a sinner. I know I am. I confess it. And I believe you, the Son of God, came and died for me. And thank you for dying for me. You're the only one that died for me, the only one that was put into a grave and rose again and conquered death. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. And we are so thankful for our salvation, Lord.
we're so thankful for what you have done in our lives in saving us. And Father, I just pray that by chance if anybody prayed that prayer, that afterwards they would come up and talk to me. If you're out in a coffee shop or if anybody here, just come and talk to me because I want to pray with you. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would really believe that you do want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, that we would just lay hold of that prayer of Paul. That Lord, things are stirring and and people are coming and and people are, are hearing. And I know that we're not the perfect church. And I know that you're doing work in other ministries and churches. But Lord, you have something for us. And I know that your word tells us that you honor your word above your name. And as we have honored the word of God, I believe you really want to bless that, Lord. And we don't want to get complicated. We don't want to strive. We don't want to strain. We want to keep it simple and stay to the basics. And Lord, keep focused on the word of God and just being led by the spirit of God. But Lord, I pray we would never get apathetic. That there are so many people around us in our lives individually that around us right now in this church and in the neighborhoods that they're in darkness, Lord. So we thank you for the radio program that's going across the airwaves all throughout from Denver up to Cheyenne and all across the Front Range. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to provide and people would turn in. And I thank you for those who are responding and hearing and being blessed. And Lord, I pray that people would come to know you. I mean, even tonight, if there's somebody out there that's lost, that somehow they would turn in the program in the night watches as the pastors are on, as we're on at 3 o'clock in the morning. We just pray for that tonight, Lord. And we pray that tomorrow people would tune in and the next day, the days that you give us. And Lord, I pray that we individually would go out and reach those people that we work with and our neighbors and family members. That our hearts would be stirred knowing that you're coming soon. And eternity is at stake. And it's not a game that we're playing, but it's real. And then we have the best news, the only true news, good news that there is in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Lord, that we would have a heart for the lost and a heart for our young people whom Satan is attacking at a greater degree than ever before and attacking the families and attacking marriages. Lord, I thank you that for those of us who have experienced hardship, that, Lord, there is comfort and forgiveness. There is restoration. And, Lord, I thank you that you've brought us here tonight and brought so many here to just begin to heal in your word and to grow. But, Lord, also that we would be watchmen to be able to give that message of truth to others. And Lord, that we would care about them as we lift them up in prayer and then have an opportunity to give them your word, your wisdom, to tell them of your love. 
Father, I pray that you would just, Lord, whatever it is that you stir our hearts, maybe it's taking care of things at home. Maybe it's, it's just getting more grounded in you. Maybe it's getting stronger in you. Whatever it is, but Lord, that you would speak to your people. And if there's anyone here tonight that you've been speaking to them about ministering to somebody or perhaps ministering in a certain capacity that, that we would have the mindset, Lord, I just want to see what you want to do. And you open the doors that no man can shut and you shut doors that no man can open. And you would just do a marvelous work and you would grow us. You would mature us. And Lord, that we would move out in faith not be stagnant. Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had tonight, and I pray that you take us all home safely, and Lord, that our hearts would be excited. And Lord, that we would be just looking to you, carry on with you. So bless our evening and take us home safely. Bless our day tomorrow. Lord, even as we hear ambulances right now or fire trucks, emergency personnel, Lord, we just pray for those who they're going to. We just pray that, Lord, that you would work and that, um, Lord, you be with those men and women that are ministering to them and, and going to them. We don't know any of the circumstances, but you do. We just lift it up to you. And, Lord, we know that those emergency personnels will be working all night. We just pray you be with those of law enforcement and those of that are in the fire departments and EMTs and those at the hospitals that do such a marvelous work. Lord, we just lift them up to you tonight. And Lord, we thank you for them. And Lord, may you use us to bring them to the great physician, Jesus Christ, because he came to call sinners into repentance and those who need a physician to be healed spiritually. So, Lord, take us home safely tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen.